moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Welcome to today's episode of Cascading Leadership. I am your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. Everybody chuckles at that because it sounds so self-serving. And with me today, I have my illustrious co-host. Hello, my name is Lawrence Brown. I am also known as LD, your executive reading and research coach. Wow, that's fancy. You so fancy, LD. Hello, LD. How are you? I'm fantastic. So today we have a, uh, I don't know, probably one of the heaviest hitting episodes that we have recorded in a while. And here's what you're going to learn. So I'm going to share with the class what they're going to learn today. So in today's conversation, we're going to learn why the fight is worth fighting. And when we talk about fight, what are we fighting? It's going to be a fight that exists within the sales community. So get ready, folks. This is going to be a thing. We're also going to learn why and how the deck when it comes to being a sales professional is stacked against underrepresented communities. And then we're also gonna learn that in order to be successful as a modern seller, why the concept of buyer centricity is critical to be successful. Who is going to teach us all this stuff? And to answer that question, we have Leslie Venetz joining us. Leslie, hello. Hello. I needed to practice a much fancier title. Like I should have reworked my LinkedIn headline. Into- we can do that on the fly. Leslie is everywhere. So where can people find you, Leslie? Absolutely. Definitely find me on LinkedIn. Find me on TikTok where I create a content under the handle at sales tips talk. Yes, that is plural. No, I did not pronounce it out loud before I chose that handle. And obviously you can find me having conversations like this about what it's like to be a woman in sales, about buyer centricity, about sales as a respected profession on your your friendly local podcast. And here's the thing. It's interesting to me how many people get their rough feathers ruffled when Leslie has a point of view on something. And I'm sure that's not unique to being a woman in the world of work who has an opinion. And you get you get the general crowd that just chimes in and says, oh, who are you to say this or that? And and we'll get into some of that as we go through the show. Leslie, I'm sure that, that there are a lot of listeners that are going to be familiar with your work. But for those that aren't, tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are now and involved in the projects that you're involved in now. Yeah, absolutely. So I spent 15 years as a B2B sales professional and people leader, primarily in C-suite enterprise sales. So really opening the doors with those biggest accounts at the C-suite, three-time head of sales, spent a lot of time working for British companies, penetrating the North American market. So really fun career in that sort of like startup corporate America space. And then in January, made the leap to leave corporate America to focus 100% of my time on sales team builder, which for years before that has been my 
my passion project, my purpose project. And now it's my all in uh, full-time founder and really having just a lot of fun with it. That's a great overview. And I think we're definitely going to get into the why you made that shift because know some of that, but I think it's going to be important to dig into it because one of the central elements that we try to talk about on the show is finding the why that gives you purpose as an individual to move forward in life and career and in all of that sort of stuff. So I, I think that's going to be an important conversation. Leslie, you laid out the current state and the things that you've done more recently. You're a pretty heavy hitter across a number of different channels. You're one of the most popular voices on on TikTok. You're pretty active on LinkedIn. You hit every day that I'm following your stuff. I always find something that is useful or interesting that advances my abilities. But that didn't happen overnight. You didn't build that voice overnight. So tell us about how you got to where you are and what those early years look like. You're right, Dr. Jim. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't even happen over the course of of a year or like maybe even a decade. It was quite a, a long journey. And I think the first time I realized that LinkedIn was more than just a place to get a job was when I tried to leave a job. And it was the only place I'd ever worked. I moved from Montana to Chicago. It was my first job out of college. I didn't have like connections or a community in Chicago or even in the sales space. And it was almost impossible to get the job that I like thought I deserved because I had a ton of experience and this amazing track record and all these great testimonials, but nobody knew me. Nobody knew what I was capable of outside of me saying, here's some bullet points. I swear they're true. So the first thing that led me to creating content and creating a community was that experience of getting a ton of doors shut in my face and realizing there has to be a a better way to go about this. But I, at that point, I would say I still just barely dipped my toes in the water. And it was a lot of being really worried to share anything that wasn't strictly about my job or about my company. I think being very guarded about what I shared, not sharing very frequently. Like I, I just, I did about halfway. And I left that job, went to a startup, and that was probably catalyst too, because I suddenly was in this role. And I was drinking from the fire hose. I was doing like go to market for the first time. I was doing marketing and deep segmentation for the first time. I was creating an MVP. I was responsible for all of these pieces of the revenue puzzle that I'd never owned myself. So I went to LinkedIn and just sent a bunch of people messages and asked if they would give me a bit of their time or give me a bit of their advice. And so I think those were the two initial catalysts, like seeing how powerful it was as a place to create a community, to build your network, to get a job, to get opportunities, and then how generous the community was with their time and expertise. I know that when we open the show that there's going to be, there's three main takeaways, but I think just in that little bit that you told us, there are some critical takeaways in there too. What One, there's got to be a better way to to connect. And it's interesting, like you and I are in the same space in terms of sales and LB has been in that space too. And one of the fundamental principles of sales is that before anybody buys from you, they have to know and trust you. So your challenge going from Montana to Chicago and then being in the job search is that, hey, you did all of these things, but nobody actually knew, liked and trusted you to the extent that they need to hire you for a role. So part of your exercise in terms of building your voice or building your presence was intentional in that respect. So that's important. The other part, and this is something that it, I talk about it with my teams all the time, 
which is you have to operate in the world with two key things first. And you can debate what other things should be in, included in that. But I always op- advise my teams, operate from a position of curiosity, genuine curiosity in the person that or people that you're coming across, and then operate from a position of gen- from the perspective of generosity. And I would argue that you need to put generosity first before curiosity. Because what that allows you to do is that when you're talking about just general relationship dynamics, people are going to build authentic relationships with proportional to the amount of value you give them. And I don't mean value in like the sales sense. It's like how much knowledge can you pass on to help those people advance their initiatives? And I think that's something that I really grasp onto in basically everything that you do on LinkedIn and on TikTok is the sense of generosity that you have when it comes to pushing that message out. So I think those are important call outs that I I didn't want to leave silent while we're moving through the conversation. So that's great stuff, Leslie. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Okay. So I want to get to this pivot between the corporate sector and being a free agent and doing your own thing, but we're not quite there yet. You've had you had a successful sales career and you've done a lot of impactful things in both the startup world and just general corporate America. But what, as you were navigating that journey, what did you start to uncover about what life is like for a female leader in sales? Yeah, I think first off, it's a lonely place to be. I started my career 15 years ago and I was in a leadership role really quickly within my first year in, in corporate America. And now 15 years later, only about 17% of sales leaders are women. And when you get into the more senior you get, the lower that goes. When you get to those C-suite roles, like the CRO roles, it's probably closer to seven or 8%. So there just aren't a lot of women in sales leadership. And the result of that for me was that I didn't have anybody to look to earlier in my career because I hadn't really built that LinkedIn community. I was very isolated within my own company and there weren't any women sales leaders. There there was just nobody to look to, to be like, I want to I want to model myself after what that person is doing or wow, that person really inspires me. That's such a great roadmap of where I can go next. So I think there is a bit of that loneliness and isolation. I also didn't realize I was in a a very toxic work environment. And in all honesty, like I, I knew it wasn't. And obviously there were some issues of gender discrimination and sexism and sexual harassment. But I just thought that's the way it was. Like, I guess this is just what it's like to be in corporate America. I guess this is just what it's like to make it in the big city or be in sales. And I was very successful. Like, I was extremely good at my job. I was constantly just smashing targets. So I was like, I guess this is just what it's like to be in sales. And it, it took me probably seven or eight years to really get that wasn't the case. And then I think even after I like got it, it probably took me another three years to get really angry about it and realize that I wanted to take back my story and share that and hopefully inspire or help or lead with that generosity to make other people's lives better, help them avoid some of the situations I encountered. The experience that you share with us, some of this LB and I can't relate to. We actually had a conversation with an earlier guest that hasn't released yet, 
where she was talking about some of the decisions that she has to make being in a sales role and being in meetings with clients who are men you have to think about, okay, is this person generally interested in the potential solution that I have to offer? Or is this person just having the meeting with me because he can have some unsavory intentions that he's trying to get out of this meeting? And these are things that as guys, and even as brown guys, we don't really think about when we're frontline. I actually do now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Obviously a after hearing this, uh, after a period of time, we obviously do. So that's one of the elements when we're talking about, hey, what does the world of sales look like for an underrepresented community? It's important to talk about, and it actually sets the stage for the concept of the fight that everybody is in to fight. Because to your point, when you look at representation at senior levels within sales organizations, and the data behind this is really interesting. You and I have gotten into conversations with a mutual friend of ours in LinkedIn, Carrie Simpson, who is also going to be on the show later. Sales teams led by female leaders outperform their male counterparts by 8%. And if you're looking at just pure numbers, there isn't a sales leader in the world that would say, hey, if I can guarantee you an 8% bump on your production numbers, would you take that? I'm like, hell yeah. So that's what's interesting when you look at the representation component of it. So again, a couple of phenomenal call-outs that, that came out of, of that particular conversation. One of the things that Leslie just mentioned is that this, when we talk about representation matters, when she talked about her seven or eight years being in the industry and not having a reference point, this is the other part about what we miss about the representation. So I think here people say, oh, I'm... I get into an organization and I want to have aspirations to aspire, but I don't see anyone that looks like me. And what we're seeing is that with Gen Z, they're like kick rocks. Like they're not hanging around to, to be that trailblazer. They're not concerned about that. They want to go somewhere where they feel like that's going to be an opportunity for them to progress through the organization. But Leslie, if you could say a little bit more about the idea, because I think that's this is fascinating that you were there for seven, eight years and you were like, this is just status quo when in fact it wasn't. Yeah. I think part of it is that it's scary and risky to break the status quo. Like that is scary. And I think a piece of it was may maybe subconsciously saying it's just, it's safer to just shut up. Mm -hmm. It's safer to just sit here and smash my quotas and go home. And I was getting promoted mostly because it was like a very numbers driven organization. It was like, if you hit your numbers, you get promoted. So I was like, like I'm getting promoted. Like I also had somebody slap my ass last week. I also wear a fake wedding ring to events because I'm nervous to be alone with men because I don't think they'll respect me, but I think they'll respect if I say that I'm married. So it was this, I think there was like a huge sort of like dichotomy in my brain with how I was dealing with it. I also know for a fact that it is exhausting to be a trailblazer. Like it is mentally and emotionally exhausting it's worth it. And I'm happy to put in the work, but like I now in my thirties have the bandwidth and have the access to therapy and have the perspective and have the community or the sureness in my accomplishments to be able to have pivoted to, to be that trailblazer. And with all of that still to Jim's point, still outperform, still be a top performer and also carrying that baggage with along with the with the journey, I think it's just an, is an important call out. And, and for me, as I ponder what you're saying, I, I literally took a gasp when you were describing some of the things that you've been through. And I leave you speechless, right? Because I think Jim is right. We, we don't re relate in that way to be able to say 
had those experiences. When you are thinking about it today and how has that helped to evolve you in, into being the leader that you are now in, in terms of helping folks in general mm-hmm. or specifically, but just in, from a sales perspective? Yeah, it's made me very gritty. <laughs> I have a tremendous amount of grit, I think, because I have weathered those storms, because I have such a firm understanding of what bad looks like, it allows me to be a lot more rooted in my decisions and my opinions of what good looks like. I think there is some confidence, some grittiness that has come out of that. Yeah, it's hard, right? Because I would never say I would regret any of the things I've done or the choices I've made because they've gotten me to here. So it's a double-edged sword, but like my 20s was was pretty rough. And I think so much of my motivation for the stories I share now and the way I try to lead now is to make sure that other women and not just other women, but like any marginalized voice to make sure that they don't have experiences of otherness or experiences that just are like void of psychological safety. So that's why I really put like buyer centricity and inclusion and respect for our buyers and the profession of sales at the core of what I do and what I talk about. I want to tie this into a couple of things that I've regularly seen. So one of the things that you mentioned earlier in the conversation was about, I wanted to take back my story and I wanted to frame it the way that I wanted to frame it. You started the path of actually doing that. And as you're doing it and building your voice, you still have these people that are just like sniping about, oh, who are you and why are you saying this and blah, blah, blah. We've literally every week I see a thread that that has that guy or that person in there. So when we're talking about helping others advance their careers further faster, part of what you said is really important. Taking back your voice, taking back your story. What's the roadmap that you built in your head that you can pass on to other people that want to do that as well. Yeah. I think that the journey is going to be unique for everybody based on their lived experiences or their traumas, their successes, whatever it is. So one thing on the roadmap that I would prioritize is giving yourself the space to take the journey at the pace with, which is right for you. That was something that was really important to me. Like really until I started creating on TikTok, which was only about 18 months ago, there was still a lot of my story or my lived experience as a woman in sales that I did not and had not ever shared with my broader community. Even I really started sharing like six years ago and then a little bit more and a little bit more, but really until about 18 months ago, I wasn't as vulnerable as the Leslie that you see today on social media. So it it is a journey. And I think that's very important to call out. Don't push yourself to share more than you feel sharing. Because to your point, Dr. Jim, there are going to be people in your comments, regardless of the channel, even on LinkedIn, that say hurtful and hateful things. So take it at your own pace. And I think what what really worked for me that's very actionable is I started by finding people whose content I really resonated with following them, engaging with their content, resharing their content with my own thoughts. And that gave me a little bit more confidence. And then I started, when I felt really passionate about something, posting my own 
comment or content about it. And that gave me a little bit more confidence. And then I started really pivoting to creating, like going to LinkedIn with the intention of creating that content that can inspire, that can educate, um, that can motivate others. So it, I think it was very much, I graded myself up bit by bit to where I am today, where I share every single day on LinkedIn and on TikTok, something that I help can, something that I hope can level somebody else up or inspire them to, to find their own. There's a component of what you just described. And I think it's particularly valuable. You have to go at your own space and give yourself grace. You're not going to be fully formed like tomorrow just because you decide it. So that's important, but there's a consistency and discipline component that comes into it too. So when you talk about, hey, you started out sharing content and then you started to provide some analysis on the content that you shared out, then you started creating content, but there's a process on that. So it's just like exercise. You have to be consistent and disciplined around it. So what are some of those consistency and discipline, discipline tips? Wow. Say that five times fast. What are some of those tips that you can offer to early career female sales professionals or even mid-late career female sales professionals who want to build their voice. Interestingly, at the top of our discussion, you said to put generosity before curiosity, which is not bad advice. I think my journey was curiosity and then generosity. And I think for a lot of folks that are wondering, should I start creating content or how do I create content or how do I take back my voice or, or find my voice? It's okay to get curious first to build that community on LinkedIn, to find those creators whose style you like or whose voice resonates with you and model yourself after those people. The consistency piece is, it's so key. And just released some statistics last quarter that said, even posting once a week, a single time a week, but consistently posting one time a week, five times the engagement with your account. So when we talk about Get like making it worth it, right? If you're going to take the time to create this content, you want people to see it. You want people to engage with it. The consistency piece is really important there. The ideal right now on LinkedIn is three times a week. But again, don't put all the pressure that you have to show up and have something to say three times a week. Start with one time a week. I batch create my content both on TikTok and on LinkedIn. So for me, that usually looks like sitting down and spending a whole day of doing deep focused, thinking through ideas, content planning, creating that content, editing it, mapping it out so that I, it can really be a, it can really be a deep work session for me versus a trying to squeeze it in every single day on the fly sort of thing. One of the things that I notice about it is ultimately you have to figure out what's the cadence that works. If you can actually carve out that deep focus. I'm thinking back to when I was an early career sales professional, you have all of these managers that are like hounding you to just, oh, you got to hit your email number for the day and you got to hit your call number for the day, which those I think are just complete BS stuff anyways but you have these people that are breathing down your neck about the frontline metrics and you're just so focused on making those metrics and confusing activity with achievement. I'd be curious, how would you, if you're talking to 20 year old and you're saying, hey, 20 year old Leslie, you gotta start doing this. How would you build that into your day when you're under all of that pressure to do all of this stuff that quote unquote, you need to do because this is what your manager wants you to do. I would 
acknowledge that I'm not doing it for work, I'm doing it for me. And the result of that probably would require me to put in some effort outside of my eight to five. And I was already working like 60 hours a week at the time so for my 18K base, so no, no big deal. But I think that has been something that I go back to a lot is that like you only get one reputation, it's yours, it's not your company's. So protect it, build your personal brand. If you choose to use your personal social likely to amplify the voice of your product, of your customers, great. But I would really say to 20 year old Leslie, like own this as something that is yours and will grow with you, not something you're doing for an immediate gain or result. Tune in next time to Cascading Leadership for more of this conversation with Leslie Bennett. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.